At this point, our kids are dismissed to go uh, have some good uh, fun in the back there uh, and learn a little bit, hopefully, as well. Uh, If you're staying with us, I'd encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 14. Um, This morning, we're going to continue our look at the parables in the Gospels. Uh, We've seen that the parables are a part of a long-standing tradition uh, all throughout the scriptures, uh, a long-standing creative tradition of teaching the truth. Uh, The parable is a a short fictional story that makes you stop and think for a moment. Uh, They are a a way of communicating truth through the back door of our hearts. And the parables that we're going to look at this morning, as well as many parables in the gospel, uh, happened over a meal. They were uh, dinner table conversation. Uh, I don't know what your homes are like, but uh, my home is very busy. Uh, And so dinner table conversation doesn't happen a whole lot. We're all moving in all sorts of different directions. And uh, remarkably this week, thanks to some rainouts, we were actually had a night together as a family and had a meal together. And always when that happens, it's, it's a really big deal and we're thankful for it. But if you look at the New Testament, meals and dinner table conversation are actually a big deal in the New Testament as well. In fact, Luke, in particular, emphasizes the uh, meals and Jesus dining with people. Uh, in fact, one uh, commentator noticed that in the, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal, uh, at a meal, or uh, coming from a meal. Almost every encounter in the book of Luke. So if you like to sit down and have some meals, the Gospel of Luke is the Gospel that you want to read. Uh, So this morning, we're going to look at two parables that were told over dinner in the home of a wealthy uh, and influential Pharisee, one of the religious elite of Jesus's day. And so I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 7 through 24. This is God's word. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowliest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who'd been invited, 
Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is God's word. Father, we pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you this morning, Father, that you would speak to us through your word and that we would leave here changed as a result. Father, we need your truth. We're surrounded by falsehood all around us, so we need your truth. So remind our hearts of that to which all of life hangs upon. Remind our hearts of what truly matters. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So our passage this morning is, is a rich one. Uh, and in this passage, Jesus tells really two parables um, in the context of this meal. And in his parables and in the truth that he shares with those around that dinner table, he really upends the social order of his day. I think we're going to see that uh, through our passage. In the New Testament world, if you've not studied this before, in the New Testament world, uh, meals were a means by which you climbed the social ladder. That means that if you are invited to the home of someone who had a higher social standing than you do, or had more social clout, then it meant that you might be climbing that social ladder. And if you were invited, you most certainly were required uh, a certain reciprocity. So if you were invited, you dined with that person of higher social clout, it was, you were responsible to then invite them to your home for an equally uh, important meal. And if they responded in the affirmative to that, then it really meant that you were climbing the social ladder. So imagine that and then picture what these homes looked like. They had a dining room, obviously, with a U-shaped table and folks would come and they would recline around this table. They'd eat together. They'd have lots of conversation. And the host would sit at the very front of the U and the seats to the right and the left of the host were places of honor. And it's even believed that the outcasts, the poor, the lame, and the cripple could stand out just outside of these dining rooms in hopes that uh, the host or those sitting at the table would share some scraps of food with them. Now it's in this context in which Jesus shares these parables and at least the point of his first parable, it's pretty clear to us, probably very clear to everyone who was there, but it was nonetheless shocking to everyone who was listening to it. Don't forget that the the occasion for this was that Jesus was invited into the home of an influential 
Pharisee. And so this was a big moment for Jesus to be invited into this wealthy and influential Pharisee's home. But what does Jesus do? He uses this as an opportunity to upend the social structure of his day. He tells his hearers that they should not be always concerned with chasing about honor and prestige. He says, don't be concerned with climbing the social ladder or whether you're falling down the social ladder. Instead, always take the place of humility. Seek always to lift others up in your life. He's telling them that that's what the kingdom of God is really all about. The kingdom of God's not like the kingdom of this world. In fact, in many ways, it is the opposite. It upends the social structure and the way we think about our world. In verses 12 to 14, Jesus continues that by upending the social structure of reciprocity that we talked about before. Essentially saying to everybody, don't be kind and gracious to others so that you will get something in return. Don't simply use others to further your own agenda or your own personal gain, or your own personal gain. Instead, go out and find and love those people who cannot repay you. Love people with no motives of selfish gain whatsoever. So if you are going to throw a feast, make sure you invite those people who cannot and will not ever be able to repay you. Invite those people who will never benefit you socially. That's what Jesus is teaching, is saying here, which is pretty shocking. I always try to imagine myself. I can't imagine the awkwardness that Jesus brought about uh, at this table as he spoke these words because he was upending the very structures that were at play during this meal. I'm sure there was all sorts of awkward silences around this dinner table as he shared these things. And I imagine his disciples with the, the palm to the forehead thinking, why is Jesus committing social suicide by the things he is teaching here? Doesn't he realize that we're in the home of an influential Pharisee. And so there's a lot going on in this scene here. But I want us to focus more on the final parable, this parable of the great feast in verses 15 to 24. And I want to look at it uh, through the perspective of the invited, the shamed, and the brought. The invited, the shamed, and the brought. And I want us to confront perhaps the simplest and most important question of this passage. How do we get a seat at the table? How do we gain access to the great feast? I think that's the question that Jesus leaves us here. So let's start by looking at the invited in this final parable that Jesus tells. It's the story of a wealthy and a great man who decides to, grow, to throw a great feast. And he invites many people to share in this feast with him. Once the meal has been prepared, the feast is ready, he sends out all of his servants to go and to collect the crowd that had been invited. But instead of collecting the crowd, all his servants collect are excuses. There's excuse from one man, excuse number one, from a man who bought a field and now has to go and see it. 
Now, if that excuse seems a bit absurd, then you're paying attention. It's meant to feel very absurd. Anybody who has purchased a field has most certainly looked at it before they go and purchase it. So that's excuse number one. Excuse number two comes from a man who bought five yoke of oxen. He has to go and examine uh, these oxen and cannot come to the feast. Now, the man, in order to afford this amount of oxen, uh, would have been considerably wealthy. This is over-the-top terms here that Jesus is using. And so again, you come to a situation where he's bought something that he hasn't examined before. And so it's another excuse that doesn't seem to hold a whole lot of water. Then you got excuse number three that comes from the newlyweds, the newlyweds. They've just been married. And so he says his marriage is preventing him from attending this great feast. And so all these excuses are meant to seem absurd. They're meant to feel very contrived. And it's clear at the end of the day that simply these folks don't see the value in attending the feast that is being thrown. And if you were with us last week, you'll remember how we talked about how we always invest in what we value. And so dining at this table simply wasn't valued by these folks. Now, this parable is meant to stand the test of time. And so we've all been to dinner parties. We've all been to feasts. We've all been invited to things. We've all been there. We've heard excuses from folks. We've made excuses uh, for things. Sometimes those excuses are very valid. Uh, Other times they're not so valid. In some ways they are contrived. In fact, every semester, uh, my wife and I always laugh about, um, many of you know that I teach a a good bit, and uh, there's one week each semester where uh, our final capstone project is due and the final exam is due. It all happens in one week, either at the end of December or the, uh, end, or the beginning of May. And my wife and I always laugh each year because we call it the toughest week to be a grandparent. It's the toughest week to be a grandparent. Why? Because more grandparents die the, that first week of December or that first week of May. So if you are a grandparent here, beware. The first week of December and the first week of May is a, is a, is a tough season to be a grandparent. Why? Because so many students' grandparents die that week. It is uncanny. Now, you all know the humor of that story. Uh, we've all been there. We've all made excuses when the real answer often is we just don't want to do the thing that we've been invited to do. And so we can understand this parable, but it has a more sobering tone to it if you think about it at its deepest level, because this great feast is intended to be a picture of the great eschatological feast. It's the great feast that's gonna happen at the end of all things, a heavenly feast, a heavenly celebration for all of eternity. Now the scriptures remind us that the invitation to this feast has already been sent out. You, I, we've all been invited to sit for all of eternity at the banquet table of the King of Kings. And yet we all know we have so many excuses, so many excuses. 
There's an immediate meaning to this passage that we often miss, but that would have been particularly relevant to Jesus's original audience because his original audience were Jews. And for centuries, God had sent the invitation out to the Jewish people primarily or principally. And as we've seen throughout the summer, they ignored it. They made excuses. They killed the prophets who bore the invitation to them. And so God was about to upend this invitation list. And it speaks to the enfolding of the Gentile people as well. So there is that immediate meaning to Jesus's original audience, but I think there's a very palatable meaning to you and I as well. Because so often we are quick to make all sorts of excuses in the face of God's amazing gift. We often don't recognize the great value of what Jesus offers to us. And so instead we make all sorts of excuses. I've heard a lot of them over the years. We, we say that Jesus just demands too much, at least for right now in my life. We think, I don't want to live for another. I want to instead live for myself for a little while. I don't want to have Jesus get in the way of my acquisition of material possessions or my building of my bank account or my building of my career success or even my romantic pursuits. And I don't want Jesus to interrupt all of those things. Or maybe you don't want to be viewed as weird or strange because other people's approval means a lot to you right now. All of us live within those excuses and that's what the deceptive nature of sin is really all about. We miss the value of what God has to offer and instead we prioritize the values of the world that is around us. C.S. Lewis famously said that when we do that, what we wind up doing is settling for playing in the mud while a vacation at the sea is available. You see, we overvalue the things of this world. We undervalue the gifts that are offered to us in Jesus. But I think our passage is clear that there will come a time when a seat at that table will no longer be accessible. The great party will begin and some, many, will be left standing outside. And so friend, you are invited. This celebration is greater than you could ever imagine. How will you respond to Jesus's invitation? And so we look at the invited, but what about the shamed? The invited, the shamed, the brought. We've looked at the invited, what about the shamed? Well, if you think about our story, There's one person in our story who was shamed by this whole event. And that person was the host, the wealthy person who had thrown this meal. I want you to think about your own life. Have you ever put yourself out there before? Have you ever put yourself out there, you've made the invitation to a lot of people and then everybody turned you down, whether it was through actual excuses or bogus excuses. You put yourself out there. You made the invitation. Everybody turned you down. And how did you feel? You probably felt a little bit rejected. You probably felt a little bit shamed. And you were left with all sorts of questions. You wondered, uh, do people just not want to 
hang out with me? Or do I smell or something that people don't want to hang out with me? Or am I not as cool as, as I think I am? Uh, and that's why people don't want to spend time with me. You feel rejected. You feel a little bit ashamed. And you may even decide that I'm just not going to put myself out there anymore. I'm going to stop offering the invitations because it doesn't feel very good when we are rejected. Well, take that shame and imagine what this wealthy host felt. Take that shame and multiply it to the nth degree. Because in the ancient world, these invitations would often come in, in waves. And what, what I mean by that is this. They, they would send out an initial invitation and everyone would need to, to RSVP and save the date for a great banquet like this. And then the second phase would come when the meal was ready, when the preparations were made and everybody was ready to come and sit at the table and the servants would go out and get the word out. You couldn't just send a text message and say, hey, everybody, the food is ready. And so these excuse makers in our passage, they had already agreed to come to this meal. They'd already agreed to come to the feast. They had clicked yes on the Evite in their email and the preparations were being made for their arrival. And what do they do? That late uh, ancient version of the late text bail. Have you, ever, have you ever felt that before where you get the last text messages at the final minute and everybody has bailed on your event? That's exactly what is going on here. And so plain and simple, the host felt all sorts of shame and rejection, he was dishonorably rejected by all whom he had invited. And this rejection would have been public. In fact, a lot of people believe in a story and in a scenario like this, that the excuse makers probably conspired together in order to reject the host's invitation. Meaning that for some reason, it was no longer, no longer socially advantageous to attend this meal. And so they all made excuses and they all, as a result, made a public mockery of this host. It was a systematic, intentional, social teardown of this host who had prepared the meal. Now, I think the implications are obvious for all of us. There is a heavenly feast that awaits God's people. Jesus has come to offer that invitation. In fact, he says in John chapter six, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But we don't just ignore Jesus's invitation. They didn't just ignore Jesus's invitation. They didn't just make excuses as to why they couldn't come. Instead, what we see in the story of Jesus is that they conspired to have him shamed. They conspired together to have him stripped, to have him beaten, and to have him hung on a cross. In fact, Isaiah 53 says he was despised and rejected by man a man of sorrows. Gospel tells us that Jesus took our shame so that we would not need to bear it. It tells us that he was rejected so we would not need to fear rejection. 
Here is the good news. Because that wealthy man was shamed and rejected, a whole host of others can be brought in, can be accepted. And that brings us to the final group we want to look at here this morning, the invited, the shamed, and the brought. Verse 21, then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, serve what you've commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be fulfilled. Picture this in your mind. Picture what that must have looked like in your mind. Because those who believed that they had it all together rejected this host. Those who believed that there was no advantageous thing for them to attend this meal conspired and shamed him and walked away. And so the outcast, the poor, the crippled, the lame, they were all invited into this feast. In fact, it doesn't even say that they were invited in. It says that they were brought in. And still, even after they are brought in, there's more room. There's always plenty of room at God's table. And so more outcasts, more of the crippled, more of the lame are brought in. In fact, it says they are even sought out that the servants go to the highways, they go to the hedges, they are sought out and they are brought into this table. So imagine what that table must have looked like. This wealthy host at the front of the table surrounded by misfits, surrounded by rejects, surrounded by sinners, by outlaws, by outcasts, and these are the ones who get to celebrate the great feast. Of course, they had no social clout. They had zero means of any sort of reciprocity. They didn't earn their position at that table or any places of honor because of their social climbing. They had nothing to offer whatsoever. All they had to do was open their arms and receive the blessing, receive the blessing. It's a great reminder, as one commentator said, that no one is too sullied, no one is too wretched to be counted a friend at God's table. Friends, don't miss that. It's so beautiful that the picture of heaven that God gives us here is described as a great feast. A great feast that is ridiculous in its celebration and is ridiculous in its abundance. That's the picture of heaven. The scriptures don't talk a whole lot about heaven, but that's the picture we are given right here. Uh, early this week, I think it was, it was Tuesday morning, uh, Sean and I were together and we learned that a, a wonderful friend of ours uh, who we've, we've known for years uh, suddenly passed away this week. And so it's been a tough week for me, I'm sure for Sean and for anybody involved uh, as we've felt the, the, the shock of that and the sadness of that, the shock of family and grandkids that are left behind uh, by a death that is very untimely. But we also know that this friend of ours had a deep and abiding love of Jesus Christ, his savior. And we can take comfort in the fact that he is now celebrating at this great feast with his savior. 
That same day, we learned that Norm MacDonald from Saturday Night Live passed away. You remember Norm MacDonald from the old Saturday Night Live uh, show? He passed away as well. And I noticed that as people were reflecting on his death, that they shared a couple of pages from, apparently he wrote a biography, autobiography about his life. And uh, they shared a couple of the last pages from his autobiography called Based on a True Story. And it was sad to read these pages because he said for his entire life, he felt like he was always trying to sprint away from the wolves of irrelevance that were snapping at his heels. And he says that he was always a lifelong gambler. We've known that about his life. And so he mused or he hoped that in death, he had gambled in life and got it right. In the face of death, he only could hope in the fact that he was lucky and would be lucky in his death. Friends, we don't just have to hope for luck. In Jesus, we get certainty. And if heaven is that great feast, then the food is abundant, the celebration is great, and it will last for all of eternity. And guess what? We are all invited. We are all invited. Not because we have earned our way there. Not because you and I have enough social or religious clout to earn ourselves a spot at the table. You haven't been invited because of your reputation or your spirituality, your religiousness or your righteousness. You have been invited because your savior was shamed and rejected on your behalf. You've been invited because you were the spiritually lame, the spiritually crippled. You and I were the spiritual misfits, the spiritual outcasts, and that is why Jesus came. He came to be shamed and rejected so that you and I could be those who are brought in. And so he opens his arms to all of us who are spiritually hungry and thirsty, to those who recognize they have nothing to offer and that all, is requ- all that is required of us is to open our arms and by faith receive the blessings that we have in Jesus. And so friends, don't let excuses cloud your mind. In my years of coaching and teaching and pastoring, I've heard a lot of excuses out there. Some are very valid, others not so much. But when it comes to God's kingdom, no excuses are valid. No excuses are worth walking away from the great feast. And so see the infinite value of a seat at the king's table. Open up your arms and receive by faith the blessings that come from our Savior, who is shamed and rejected on our behalf. Let's pray.